Our gospel reading is from Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother and mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We'll start with a confession. I have never once preached or even considered preaching this passage on Mother's Day or Father's Day. How would you like this passage on one of those two days? You think it works? You think it fits? Two in the household against three. It's not a happy, feely family passage, is it? Well, we'll explore that as we move into the passage and we'll arrive at what my sense is this passage speaks to us today, and, and that is that our families be focused on Jesus, his wonderful name, and focused on serving others in his name. But before we get there, let's walk through the passage verse by verse. Jesus says, I came to bring fire to the earth. This fire that he speaks of, it's not incidental, it's not a byproduct, it's not something that surprises him, it's part of his call. From the very beginning, the call of God, the call of the Father through the Spirit on the life of the Son was to bring fire to the earth. I came to bring fire to the earth. Two present day images and then two biblical images of fire, the present day images. Think of the wildfires in California and other places, particularly from last fall in that town called Paradise that was completely engulfed and burned to the ground. And we think of these Western fires coming more and more and more as our climate warms. We, we think of these fires as being out of control. There, there's nothing that we human beings can do to, to stop them. Think of that image. And then I offer you a second image. Uh, when this uh, city boy about 30 years ago lived out in the country in a rural area, before Alicia and I met, I was the interim pastor at Mount Hermon Baptist Church in uh, Orange County, North Carolina, just outside of Duke uh, Divinity School where we were attending, where I was attending and where we later would attend together. And, uh, and I lived at the Parsonage for a while and uh, loved living there, but also uh, was a custom city boy that I was to growing up and re uh, raking the leaves to the street. And then some folks from the city would come and pick them up and realize that if I did that in the country, they'd just stay there and blow up and down the country road that we lived on, that I lived on. And so I realized that the custom in that area was to burn the leaves. I'm not really good with fire, so it was a frightening kind of thing, but I knew it was my responsibility. 
And so I enlisted the help of a, a teenager in our youth group who, even though he was young, knew exactly what he was doing. And he told me exactly what to do. And then he did the burn for me. And sure enough, the house didn't burn down. The yard didn't go up in flames. And the leaves were taken care of. It was a controlled burn. It was controlled. So when we think about the fire that Jesus brings, it's not the wildfire out of control. Uh, it is the controlled burn, focused, intentional. It is always given to the purposes of God. Two present day images just to remind us that the fire, whatever this fire is gonna be that Jesus speaks of, it is always under his control. But then the two biblical images of fire that I believe uh, Jesus is speaking of in this passage, first is judgment. Uh, fire is associated with judgment. It's an image for judgment. It's an image of God's judgment upon humankind, upon individuals, upon nations, for the ways in which we fall short of God's glory. But secondly, fire is an image of refining. It is a purification image. The image of fire is often used in scripture to remind us that God, God's judgment is, is not to destroy us, but to refine us, to purify us, to help us to become all that we were meant to be. It is through Jesus, his cross and his resurrection as we embrace him, the purification of fire involves the forgiveness of sins and the preparation for us to then do the work that he calls us to do. It seems to me that both of those images of fire are in play as he says i came to bring fire to the earth but then a controlled fire and not a fire that's raging out of control and then he says and how i wish it were already kindled in other words the fullness of this fire has yet to come as jesus speaks these words it started through his life but it will be fully kindled through his crucifixion through his crucifixion that fire of judgment and that fire of purification, that refining fire comes into the world. The image of fire through Jesus and his death. Verse 50, I have a baptism with which to be baptized. He's not referring to the water baptism that he received from his cousin John the Baptist. He's referring to his crucifixion. He speaks of bringing fire and then he speaks of being baptized. It is his cross that unleashes this fire of judgment and of purification into the world. And Jesus says, and what stress I am under, verse 50, until it is completed. The work of the cross, the, the crucifixion, it was not an easy thing for Jesus. And as he anticipates it, remember in this part of Luke's gospel, his, he's already turned his face toward Jerusalem turned his face toward that cross upon which he will die. And it's not a happy thing. It's not something that he's looking forward to. And certainly when it happens, it's a painful thing, incredibly painful, pain unto death physically, but also painful spiritually as he takes upon himself the sins of the world. It is an overwhelming event, this crucifixion. And Jesus quite naturally says as it approaches, what stress I am under. Yes, as God the Son, he is aware that this is necessary and, and he is aware that he must do this, but also fully human as well as fully divine. He is stressed, he is under great pain, he is under great anguish, for he knows the trial that awaits him. And then verse 
51. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? The pain of the cross, the agony of the cross is diminished if we think that Jesus simply comes to smooth things over for all of us. When he says in, in verse 51, do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? He, he's not talking about the reconciliation that he effects between us and God and, and with each other through the cross. The, the peace of that reconciliation is, is powerful. It is beautiful, reconciling sinful human beings to God and, and to each other. That is a huge part of his ministry. But when he says peace in verse 51, and he says, no, I tell you, but rather division. When he says peace, he's, he's talking about that surface peace that we so naturally, I think, all of us seek, where we try to believe or try to at least make things on the surface to be smooth. And we, we brush aside, sweep under the rug those aspects of our lives that point to the fact that not all of life is good and not everything is, is smooth. We try to go through life sometimes believing that and Jesus says I will not be a part of that desire for peace understood as everything being smooth Jesus says effectively in this verse that he hasn't come to make our lives better even though he does do that and he hasn't come to give us carefree lives even though the peace that passes understanding dwells within us through Christ instead he's He's come to give us a peace, a deep peace that enables us to live amid the pain and the suffering and the conflict of life. And some of that conflict is something he introduces into the world. I've come to bring division. He's talking about how people will respond to him. As Rachel said in the children's sermon, some people will say yes to Jesus and some people won't, and it will create division. Now let's remember the context the original context. When Jesus said these words, there were no wonderful hymns set to the guitar and the violin and the organ that we could sing and it would strum the strings of our hearts in powerful ways as our hearts were blessed moments ago. That was to come. There were no hymns, Christian hymns like that when Jesus says these words. There were no potluck church dinners at that time. There were no camp onus. And there were no sanctuaries like this where people gathered to celebrate the wonderful name of Jesus, what a name it is. That hadn't happened yet. It was the people of Israel, and then it was the Gentiles. And so the worship traditions of Israel were there, and then those of other religions. But, but there was no worship centered around Jesus as we experience it. And so shortly after Jesus says these words... When he dies on the cross and God raises him from the dead, people will be called to make a specific decision in Israel and then into the outer world, a specific decision over what will I do with this Jesus? How will I respond? Will I embrace this new thing? Will we embrace this new thing that God is doing in the world? And Jesus says it up front in society, but also in individual families. There will be some who say yes and some who say no. Two against three in these households. It will happen. And then he gets specific in verse 53. Father and son, son against father, mother and daughter, daughter against mother. And then, and then he brings in the in-laws here. Mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. It affects everyone. Jesus is saying, 
we make a decision. We, we have to make a decision regarding who he is. Now, there are places in the world where a person embraces Jesus by faith and it automatically introduces division into the family. Nick Duffield, during our Sunday school hour, uh, gave a wonderful testimony about his time in Mongolia as a veterinary missionary uh, this summer. And he spoke of, uh, of, of, a, of a great friend who at the conclusion of the summer trusted Jesus, said yes to Jesus, believes in Jesus. And we, we're celebrating this friend celebrating what God is doing in, in this, Duke is his name, in, in this man's life. But also we are aware that he is not in a country where there are many churches where, where people speak of the wonderful name of Jesus like we can. And so as we pray for him and his newfound faith, we also need to be aware that it's possible, it's certainly conceivable, that his decision to follow Jesus could create division in his family. We hope and pray that the rest of his family will become believers too. But we also are aware that this could introduce division. That's the reality for many of our sisters and brothers around the world. But it's usually not our reality. For us in the church, we are very intentional, intentional about helping our children embrace Jesus. Uh, we are very intentional about seeking to, to bring everyone in a family, whatever your family looks like, to come to know the love of Jesus Christ. And even when there's someone in our families who turns away or is not interested or who rejects the message, there's still this loving and longing, patient witness seeking to, to show the love of Jesus so that person can embrace Jesus for himself or for herself. So, so this is a different kind of context for us. What does this mean for us when Jesus speaks of division? Hold that thought. We'll get to it in a moment because I think the next passage uh, speaks to it. So after Jesus gives his Mother's Day sermon uh, about division in the family, he says this in verse 54. When you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus is saying, God is doing a new thing among you through Jesus' life. And, and God is going to continue this new thing through the cross that is to come and, and through the resurrection. And then one day, one day, Jesus will return and fully bring the kingdom, complete the work. God is doing this new thing. Don't you see it? Can't you see it? In the teaching and the healing and the love that Jesus is showing. Now, there is this, this, this sense when he says, you hypocrites, there is this, this sense of judgment, the fire of judgment there. Uh, and, and there's certainly this awareness of Jesus that, that this is to be expected, that many of the people will not see what's going on. They will not be able to interpret the signs, but, but also notice the sense of, of disappointment and, 
and even pain for Jesus in these words. Yes, as God the Son, he knows that division will happen. He knows that, that not everyone will embrace him, but, but he's also fully human. And so there is that disappointment, that hurt of being rejected, that sense of hurt that the people don't get it. Here he is teaching his heart out. He's pouring his heart out for people. And so many of them don't understand. And so we can, we can resonate with Jesus in his sense of pain, for we too have experienced that sense of people not getting us, people not understanding what God is up to in and through us. There's a sense of pain, even though Jesus knows this is exactly what is going to happen. But in both parts of the passage, the first part where he talks about division in the family, and then the second part where he talks about the failure of people around him in his day to see the signs and to understand what's going on. In both places, he's calling people to center their lives on what God is doing through his life, death, and resurrection. In both places, he's saying, see the signs, second passage, see the signs, God's doing this wonderful new thing through my life and death to come and resurrection. In the first passage, I'm bringing, I'm called to bring this fire that causes division as people are called to focus, orient their lives around me, Jesus says, to embrace what God is doing in and through his life. When we connect that call to be focused on Jesus, to recognize what God is doing in and among us, then we're, as families who tend not to be divided over Jesus, and as a church family, hopefully we're not divided over Jesus, we're giving, given something to focus this passage around. We're, we're invited to ask, are our families, is our church family focused on Jesus? There may not be division in our family, but, but are we focused on Jesus. We, we may agree that Jesus is, is Lord and we believe in him and we come to church, but, but is Jesus really the focus of what we do? Do we see our life as a family, as a part of God's work in the world, giving witness to the love of Jesus Christ? By the way, the young man that gave his life to Christ in Mongolia, that happened not just through Nick, but through this wonderful 80-year-old missionary couple whose sense of family is to live the gospel out in another part of the world. Do we understand the focus of our family to be doing God's work, God's kingdom work, in and through the gifts and resources and season of life that our family finds itself in? Do we do that as a church family? Or is the focus of our biological families, is the focus of our church family on having a wonderful life together, not a bad thing? Is our focus on making it through this life together with as little pain as possible, with as many gifts as we can enjoy, not a bad thing? Or, or do we, in the midst of seeking to live this abundant life that we have, are we as families and as a church family focused on Jesus and on the work that he has for each of us to do. 
So our son Luke is a Bruce uh, Springsteen fan, and, and Iris is too. She was amen in that. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, I'm just going to make a guess. There are probably more Bruce Springsteen fans in the balcony right now than there are in the lower level. I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. All right. Um, he's a rock and roll star. And so there is this uh, new movie out. Luke and I saw it yesterday, Blinded by the Light. It's actually a true story. I had no idea until the end of the movie that it was based on a true story. And the story goes like this. There was a Pakistani family that immigrated to England in the early 1980s. And by 1987, the teenage son uh, was experiencing all kinds of uh, difficulties, uh, first at home with the overbearing father and then with, uh, with uh, discrimination against Pakistani uh, immigrants in England at that time. And so he's, he's struggling with the normal teenage stuff and he's struggling with all this other stuff. And, and, uh, and he's, he's doing this, and, and one day in the lunchroom, a fellow Pakistani uh, person uh, just slaps two Bruce Springsteen tapes on the, on the table and says, here, listen to these. And later on he does, and he becomes this huge Bruce Springsteen fan. But what it does for him is he begins to find his own voice. He's a poet, and he begins to share his poetry with others. He's a writer. He begins to write for others. And he has several people that encourage him to do this. His teacher, uh, his World War II veteran, seemingly cranky old man, widower neighbor, who encourages him to use his voice. And it brings division to the family, big division to the family. I won't spoil the movie. They get together eventually. But there's division in the family, and then eventually there's focus for the family. As through their son, the family begins to live their life and their voice in their new land, not ducking under the radar and just trying to get by, but seeking to make their contribution to society. Adapting that to a gospel vision, adapting that to a churchly vision. It's the call from Jesus to make our lives about him in every way, shape, and form as individuals, as a church family, and as biological families. To speak our voice for Christ, both with our words and with our actions into the world. Not just to get by with as little difficulty as possible, but to recognize the times, as Jesus said them, to recognize what God is doing in and through Christ, to participate with God in doing the work of Jesus in the world through who we are right now as families and as a church family. Maybe this isn't a bad passage for Mother's Day or Father's Day. Maybe we always need the reminder that life revolves around Jesus, that Jesus calls us to follow him, that his fire of judgment and his fire of refining and purifying is always at work in us because he loves us and because he calls us to be his witnesses, his vessels in the world. May it be so for you and for me, for your family, for our church family. Amen.
Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, our Father who art in heaven, we long for that smooth, peaceful, easy life for ourselves as individuals and in our families too and in our church family. And there is some joy in that and there's nothing wrong in desiring it and experiencing it. We know if it comes our way, but we also know that you call us to more. You call us to give witness to your love, to work for your kingdom, to be your people, to sacrifice and to serve. We pray that you would help us to do so. In Jesus' name, amen. M598, wherever he leads, I'll go. As we sing, I'll stand right here to receive those who would profess faith in Jesus for the first time to be candidates for baptism or as followers of Jesus to unite with our church, to join our church, or if you simply need to come forward and pray, the altar is open. Would you stand as we sing together? Mm -hmm. 